Today on Ag News Daily. So we have a distribution center in the Quad Cities that covers all of North America, which makes it very nice for part. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here back on the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, thanks for uh, taking over the last couple of days. You're welcome, Delaney. Good to have you back. Glad you're you're here and in person, mm-hmm. and uh, you've you've made it the past two days. It. We should make, maybe make a quick disclaimer, because we're uh, taping the podcast right now at your place, at your farm. We hear a little, if you hear a little clicking in the background, it's your little dog, Mr. Wessels, his little toenails clicking against your hardwood floor. Yes, I'm trying to get him to sit down, but he's not, he's not quite feeling it. So you might Makes hear... Makes it more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is recorded and we're real people with real dogs <laughs> really recording this podcast. This is how yeah. Fridays go sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a Friday episode. It doesn't really feel like a Friday episode though with the crappy weather. It's like negative... It was like negative some this morning. And... Yeah, it's miserable. Whatever Ooh. it is, it's miserable. And folks, if you are in the upper Midwest, anywhere from Minnesota, Iowa, mm-hmm. Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, parts of Ohio, over the next week, do be cautious. We know a lot of our listeners have livestock. They're going to have to be outside doing chores. These are going to be dangerously cold wind chills for the next several days, like negative 41 mm-hmm. wind chills. I mean, that's the Ugh. stuff that'll... I'll literally freeze give you your frostbite. nose off. Yes, I don't think I'd frostbite. be having any body parts open to the wind if I can help it. Yeah, yeah. Limit your time outside. Yeah. Be careful. That's Ugh. our our PSA here on the Ag News Daily podcast. I know we're fun to listen to, but if you have to take off your hat to put your earbuds in, just don't do it. Listen to us when you get back in the house. Mm-hmm. Good call. Yes. Yes. So that's the weather news, Delaney. The weather news. Great, Mike. What do we have going on in other news? Yes, our own Mr. Weatherman. Well, um, I am going to bring us up to date on some of the government shutdown, government policy-related issues. So yesterday, we saw the Senate vote basically on two different plans to end the shutdown. One, of course, was brought forth by Republicans, and the other brought forth by Democrats, and so, to no surprise, I think, neither of them really did very well. Neither of them passed. Um, and I know we're on day 35 now of government shutdown. I know we were talking about it before we started recording here. But President Trump is expected to make some announcement to basically, we're assume, this is all speculation, but we're assuming to temporarily open the government? Yes. It sounds like this is the scuttlebutt from around Washington, D.C. And listeners, as you are hearing this, we may already have had this announcement and this deal come yes. through. But President Trump is expected to endorse a deal that would reopen the government for anywhere from three weeks to 45 days. It would get government workers paid and it would allow negotiations to continue for wall funding. Now, that announcement is expected to be made here literally any minute. Mm -hmm. And uh, so hopefully we'll know one way or another by the end of today, uh, Friday, if the government will at least reopen temporarily. But FSA offices are open. Yes. And I assume, I'm not going to lie, I didn't listen to the last two days worth of the podcast, but I assume you updated the listeners on the FSA program and the new deadline for signing up. February 15th. Yep. Okay, perfect. Yep. Thank you for (laughs) following up, Delaney. Really appreciate that, I just wanted to make sure. Just just checking in. Okay. I never know what you talk about sometimes. That's because you don't listen. 
Well, yeah, I've been busy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, so anyway, that's yeah. the shutdown update. Perhaps okay. the shutdown will be over. I don't know. Fingers yeah. crossed, I guess. I've heard, so I was at the Farm Business Futures Summit. Did I say Farm that right? Futures Farm Business Futures Summit. Business Summit. Yeah, thank you. This morning. And I heard people saying they've heard rumors trickled around that it could go into mid-February, end of February, into March even. Sure. Well, I mean, A month, depending basically. on... You know, who breaks know. first and how long they wait to break. This thing could go on for as long as it takes. That's yeah. what President Trump said. Yep. Another, uh, I think when we're looking at who's going to cave first is going to be with the U.S.-China negotiations, which we have another round starting next week in D.C. A couple of updates here about this. Um, so when U.S. and Chinese negotiators meet next week, U.S. officials are not just going to be asking for lifts on tariffs on soybeans and other ag products they're also going to ask china to lift its ban on u.s poultry and ask the chinese to reform how or excuse me they'll also ask the chinese to reform how their government reacts to bird flu outbreaks like avian influenza and whatnot um i think i was listening to commentary or reading something that said currently brazil you know is a big chicken or poultry exporter to china and the u.s is really looking to take up some of that uh, market share and so that's one of the things that they're going to be trying to work on and we're also going to see a g20 summit here coming up in a couple of months in june and so the u.s is also going to discuss with china hey if you aren't if you aren't willing to make some changes you're the EU, Japan, and the U.S. are going to join forces, basically, and force your hand within the WTO. Yes, and yet we know that the the pork industry, the poultry industry, all of those would like to see more access into China. I've got mm -hmm. a story here. Chinese imports of pork from the U.S. have been cut in half mm. with the trade war. Uh, basically, they've been cut down to about 263,000 tons in 2018, which is down from a little over uh, five. 500,000 tons. So that that is a fairly sizable drop. And I think there was some thought that perhaps um, we would be able to continue to see imports going in with this African swine fever. But even then, apparently it's not quite enough. Now, there has been some pork news, a lot of pork news going on this week with the Iowa Pork Congress mm -hmm. that took place in Des Moines. We've got an update from our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, uh, talking to Pat McGonigal from the Port Congress. Let's let Bruce take it away. The Iowa Port Congress was held recently in downtown Des Moines. As usual for this time of the year, weather was a factor. Still, thousands turned out for the two-day event. I asked Pat McGonigal, CEO of uh, the Iowa Pork Producers, if this is the biggest show of its kind in the country. Yeah, Bruce, it, uh, for the winter shows for pork, this is the biggest show. Um, Particularly given the weather we had, we're very happy with attendance, and it's outstanding. I think it shows uh, part of the perseverance of pork producers that if they would decide to do something, they're going to be there. One of the best things about a show like this is the networking that you're able to you're able to walk around, talk to your producers face to face. What are they telling you? What are their main issues coming into this coming year? Well, I, I love the opportunity to talk to pork producers one on one. Um, and pork producers aren't afraid to tell you what they think, right? And I like that. A um, couple of things. Uh, what I hear is about trade, right? And when are we going to get some markets opened up? And and when are we going to get these tariffs off? So they're not whining about it. They just want to know 
to plan for their business. But uh, they're certainly concerned about our export markets and trade. I think the, uh, the other issue I hear a lot about is um, what's the organization doing to put a face on the industry. Um, so we're doing a lot of work in that area. Um, the other area I hear about is they haven't made a lot of money in 18, and our expectations were pretty high. And we just talk about what 19 looks like. I don't think 19 is going to be a great year, um, but certainly it looks a little better than 18 turned out to be. A lot of that hinges on trade, like you were talking about, and I know you've done a lot of work on trade. You've been overseas uh, several times. Are you getting some good vibes when you're overseas? You know, if we get the governments out of the way, are you getting good vibes from the buyers? Yeah, we were just had a group of producers over in Korea, uh, and just wonderful response. And our, if you look, our uh, exports of pork going to Korea are up 30 40% for the year. So, um, and, and, and the good thing is, U.S. product, and in our case, Iowa product, is viewed as high quality, safe, reliable, and affordable. And when you go into the marketplace with those positions, you're going to uh, you're, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Now, I say that you move to Japan, um, we're getting more and more competition in Japan, so we're going to have to uh, we, we need to get that, an agreement done with Japan that puts Iowa or U.S. producers on the same plane as other producers across the world. There's some uh, major disease problems around around the world in, in the hog business. So what do you tell your producers? How diligent do you have to be here? Well, certainly that would be the fourth issue that I talk to producers about is the African swine fever outbreak in uh, China and, and what are we doing for prevention and what are we doing for preparedness. And IPPA, the National Pork Brewer and National Pork Producers Council are doing a number of different things on the prevention. So products coming in, what risks do we have to uh, all kinds of products coming in on the border. And I think our government and our national organizations are doing a great job in that category. Now, here at home, we have to be diligent every day. And the one good thing I've seen in the pork business is with pig farmers is since PED, we've gotten better. With this ASF outbreak in, in China, we're getting even better than that. So I really see a commitment from producers and it's really about caring for their animals. Um, you know, disease outbreaks are they're tough economically, but they're tough psychologically, too. So I think producers are really making an extra commitment to keep their herd safe. One last thing, Pat. Uh, congratulations on the pork producers for chipping in on the water quality issues. I know you made a big commitment for water quality, and it, it takes everybody in agriculture to get this done, and you're doing your part. Yeah, I think, uh, and you can really thank the producers on the board uh, made a commitment to work with IDOLS on a couple of uh, pork-related projects. And we've been committed to water quality for several years, uh, uh, two or three decades. Um, obviously, we live where the pigs are at. A lot of producers do. So they, they don't. Uh, it's not in their interest to do any damages to the rivers and streams. So we're going to up our effort, and uh, that's why we're working with the Iowa Department of Agriculture. and uh, Mike Nag, or Secretary Nag and his crew, to help us get even better. Um, yeah, I think the other key thing we've learned, Bruce, is we got to keep getting better and we got to keep learning. One of the ways you do that is invest in projects. Producers look at that and say, that's not going to work on my farm, or yeah, that will work on my farm, and it gets implemented and away we go. So I, I understand the pressures about water quality in not only Iowa but other states, but I really see a commitment from pig farmers and farmers in general to do all they can do 
and try new practices. Well, congratulations, Pat, on a wonderful show. You've got a full trade show here. You've got a, a great seminars, the networking we talked about. Just a terrific show for the Iowa pork producers. Yeah, we're blessed here, Bruce. Uh, we have great exhibitors, right? Uh, if we don't have the producers, you don't have the exhibitors. If you don't have the exhibitors, you don't have a show. So we're really blessed to have a good industry that uh, is committed to getting better, and that's what part of this trade show is about. That's Pat McGonigal. He is the CEO of the Iowa Pork Producers Association. And for Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. Well, I'm sure they have had no shortage of things to discuss at this year's Pork Congress. African swine fever, I know, is on the docket. I know they had a sow uh, housing seminar going on and a lot of other important things. And um, speaking a little bit more on China, I want to kind of put a couple of things in perspective because I was reading through some commentary the other day that basically released numbers of Chinese imports in 2018 and also in December. Um, So for 2018, China corn imports were at 3.52 million tons. Wheat imports were at 3.1 million tons. Sorghum was at 3.65 million tons. Pork imports were at 1.19 million tons. And soy meal were just at 22,810 tons. So that's all of those are down pretty substantially when you look at years prior. It is, and that is definitely affecting the way growers are looking out for next year's intentions. Delaney, I understand yes, you've got planting intentions from Informa. I do. So these are just, of course, preliminary estimates. We don't really know what the USDA is going to put out, obviously. They're shut down, etc. But Informa estimates are projecting 91.5 million corn acres for this spring compared to 89.1 million a year ago and soybean acres are projected to fall 2.9 million acres to i think it was 88 or let me see here 86.2 million acres for soy hmm big big drop there in the yep. soy, soy and side. then Informa's estimating winter wheat acres planted at 31.5 million, so that's about a million less than a year ago. But of course, we're still really waiting to see what happens in winter wheat acres because I know weather has affected a lot of folks. Um, there's been talk, of course, of it being t- warm and then cold and then warm again, so maybe seeing some, some And now this kill. brutal freezing yes. coming through, this terrible deep freeze that's about to get thrust upon the entire midsection of the country. Right. I'm not looking forward to it, Delaney. No, me neither. I don't me like either. the cold. I don't either. We live in the wrong state for that. Yes. I really yes. don't like the cold. I'm reminded of that every winter. And then summer comes and I kind of forget about the winter. Yeah. And I get complacent. I know. And I, I think, agree. oh, you know, I'll live here forever. And I'm like, yeah. oh, what am I doing? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Do you have any other news for us, Delaney? One other quick update here as we look at what's going on in the the dicamba scene. So the Department of Justice has asked the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to halt proceedings in a case challenging the EPA's October 31st decision to re-register dicamba for another two years. So the Justice Department said in a court filing that basically... Department of Justice lawyers and EPA employees are unable to work on the case because of the government shutdown. Uh, but the environmental groups that brought the lawsuit up argued that it we can't see it pushed back or postponed because we're soon going to see, you know, growers in the fields and whatnot. So they're saying it, time is of the essence here. And it poses, quote, a, it 
quote, poses a serious risk to the environment, including threatened and endangered species and farmers. So we Ooh. will basically have to watch and see what happens there. So as of now, no change has happened Correct. on that Yes, but basically some environmental groups came forth and said, we don't like this. We don't think dicamba should be re-registered. And so the Department of Justice... Um, is basically just trying to halt proceedings because of government shutdown. And they're saying EPA sure. workers and other employees can't work on this case because, well, as we know now, this is the second week, second paycheck that a lot of government workers have missed. And I think more are projected to be put on furlough here soon. Mm, probably. All right. Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That is the news update for the day. We've got a fun conversation with John Hansen from Machio that we will get to in just a second. But before we do that, Delaney, what do you say? Should we hit the markets? Let's hit a mic. All right, folks. And we've got a little green on the screen to end our week. And our markets today, just like every day, are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. You can catch Ted Seifert, the chief market analyst on Market to Market this weekend. Check your local PBS listings. And then if you want to get in touch with him, you can reach him at 312 or visit them on the web at zaner.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Okay, well, we've got a little green on the screen here in the grains. March corn up three cents at 380 even. The May contract also climbed higher by three to finish at 388 and a half. In soybeans, the March contract up nine cents on the day, finished at 925 even. The May up eight and three quarters to close at 938 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the March contract was down one and a half cents at 520 even. The May down one and a quarter to close at 527 even. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got a little bit of green here in live cattle. The February contract up 70 cents at 126.05. The April up 37.5 to finish at 126.85. In feeder cattle, the March contract was down 70 cents at 143.62.50. The April down 65 to finish at 144.72 and a half. Weakness today in lean hogs. The February contract dropped a dollar 45 to close at 58.37.50. The April down a dollar thirty-seven fifty to finish at sixty-two twelve and a half. Jumping over to the world of dairy, the February contract up three cents at thirteen ninety-seven, and the March up thirteen to finish at fourteen twenty-five. For interview today, we're tacking with John Hansen from equipment company Machio. Well, here at the Quad Cities Farm Show, talking to John Hansen, who's the territory manager for Machio. And I wandered over to talk to John because back in their booth, they've got a very strange-looking baler. John, tell me, what am I looking at right here? Well, you're looking at our entry baler. It's a 4x4 fixed-chamber baler. It doesn't have belts. It's got rollers, so you get a real nice, uniform, tight bale. It's a smaller bale, kind of set up for the smaller producer, somebody that may not be able to lift heavy bales. It can handle high moisture stuff. Um, but it's kind of like the name it suggests, it's an entry baler. It's somebody that wants to maybe do their own, doesn't want to custom it. Uh, maybe that's a horse person. Maybe it's a small cow-calf operation. It kind of just depends. But like I said, it, it's a entry, small, easy-to-use baler. Very, very simple. Very simple, and lighter bales are typically you're running. This bale, it's it, not quite that big. It's okay. probably in that eight to nine hundred pound bale. So anybody's loader tractor can pick them up. If you don't want to waste hay on a couple of cows, you can bale up the smaller bale. Exactly, and it takes a little bit less horsepower. It's anywhere from that fifty to seventy horsepower range, so it doesn't take a big tractor either. How long have those been on the market here in the U.S.? 
Uh, we brought him over here roughly about a year and a half ago that we started marketing him here in the U.S. We were very popular in Europe. Uh, and have used them over there quite a bit and just decided, you know what, this is something we need to bring over here. And how's it going? Are producers getting it? Yeah, yeah, it really are. There, there's, there's certain pockets in the U.S. where it's, it's become extremely popular. Uh, and like I said, we've had some good, uh, good luck with some small cow-calf guys that have started to use that. Um, it's growing. You know, we'll always take more. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now, while we're talking, Masio, you mentioned uh, your market leader over in Europe. Give us a little background on the company for listeners who haven't heard of Masio before. Well, as, as we said, we, we build just a little bit of everything. They got their start over in, in Europe. The headquarters is in Italy. We have a lot of stuff that works with vineyards and orchards as far as mist blowers and those types of things. We have power harrows and power tillers. We've got hay equipment. We've got mowers. We've got just about anything you can put behind a tractor, honestly. We just don't have power. We've got tillage. Uh, we even have a self-propelled sprayer that we don't market here in the U.S., but we've got some pole-type sprayers. We've even got some three-point sprayers. Uh, if, if you're looking for something different, chances are we probably got it. While we're speaking of different stuff, I'm looking in the other corner of your booth, and at first when I glanced over, I thought I was looking at a uh, oh tiller, like a power tiller, but I, now I notice the blades are different. What am I looking at with this thing? That's one of our power harrows. So if you think a kitchen mixer, you're bringing that soil up from the bottom and working its way to the top. It makes great seed beds. Lawn and turf guys love it. There are a few guys that actually, I know that there's field use for it, row crop use for it. Like I said, if you got time, it, it's a slow process, but the seed bed is amazing. What kind of time are we talking? Oh, I mean, we're you're looking only at crawling a about three four mile an hour i mean okay. we make a bigger version of that one that one's probably been that 10 foot range but uh, yeah you're not going very fast wow. and at 20 foot wide it takes a while but uh, we've seen some use with that in, in turkey and chicken barns where they're going to try and man- raise the manure up so that they stir it because they don't empty the barns uh, it's got a lot of applications that way um, got a contractor out in indiana that he builds baseball and football fields and that's what he uses to put the finish on it because it just gives such a great bed and can chew up anything so i'll be darned and you're right that's unique a lot of guys will walk by here and go what what's that never seen that what are we doing with that thing yeah yeah because it, it looks like a tiller from the top but then you look underneath and nope folks i will post a picture of this on our uh, on our twitter page so be sure to check that out so tell me a little bit Machio, you've had the baler over here a year and a half. How long have you guys been in the U.S. building market share? Uh, we've been here for about six years. We do so, some OEM stuff for some other companies here in the U.S., so we have a distribution center in the Quad Cities that covers all of North America, which makes it very nice for parts. We don't have to wait for parts to come over from Italy. We stock everything here, and when you're in the heartland there, it doesn't take much to ship it just about anywhere in North America, whether it's Canada or the West Coast or the East Coast, so it just depends. Um, and, and we've been growing our, our dealer network. We're always looking for more dealers and the opportunity. Like I said, we offer such a diverse background in our product line that it makes us a really nice short-line company to have in your back pocket if you're a dealership. Absolutely. And if they're interested in becoming a dealer, I know we've got some listeners who are dealers. I hope you're paying attention, listeners. John, where should they go to find more information? Oh, the best thing is is you can go to our website, which is uh, us. And there's a phone number on there that you can contact us, or you can always call the office at 563-659-6400. That's our office in Dubuque, or I'm sorry, Duet, and they can reach out to me and we can talk. 
Fantastic, folks. That's John Hansen, Territory Manager for Machio here in the U.S. Well, it was neat to talk to John and see the different tools that Machio had on display there at the Quad Cities Farm Show. I know they're also going to be at the Iowa Power Farming Show. So if you're going to be around, I'm going to be around. Let me know where you'll be and maybe we can hook up. Find me on Facebook or on Twitter. Just send a message to Ag News Daily. You can reach out to us at Ag News Daily in both places. And uh, you can also drop a message to us on our website. You can find that at agnewsdaily.com. And with that, folks, I'm going to let you go.